Welcome to Property Management Systems, uh, third podcast. I'm Joe Holland, and I'm here with Scott Welker from Miller Harrison Attorneys. We are really grateful that Scott has agreed to come and talk to us today. Uh, he's a good friend of our company. Uh, for the last several years, Scott comes to our office uh, the third Thursday, which is today, he does this every month, uh, the third Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and just answers uh, questions for our association members that may have a question that, that he can answer quickly. And um, we've had uh, great results with that and we're grateful to Scott that he does that. And uh, it's been a great resource for our associations, and we're grateful that he does it. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So the the podcast today is on the uh, 2022 legislative session. Uh, the legislatures were active with a numerous amount of uh, new bills and so we've asked Scott to come in and talk about those bills and uh, where they're um, what 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 they're about um, there's some real interesting ones it seems uh, in the world today our hot topics are uh, watering uh, water and electric cars and it seems that the legislature's Two main issues have been those items. And there's two bills that have come into line that play to this. It's uh, SB 152, Community Association Regular Regulation Amendments, and um, SB, what's the and next one? HB, House Bill 282. 282 which is primarily just, um, well, that was uh, water-wise landscaping. Yeah, it's what they're calling water-wise, which is yeah. basically drought-friendly landscaping uh -huh. type legislation. Yeah, okay. So uh, just going into um, SB 152, that, that just seems like they've packed a whole bunch of stuff uh, from electric cars to watering to signs. Is that right, Scott? Yeah. They just, they took and they just compact all that in there. Yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's right. And we see this happen. It seems like every two or three years we'll see a bill like this where everybody who has a problem with an HOA will, you know, they'll, they'll round up at the legislature and get it all into one bill. And that's kind of, kind of what they did here that we, we saw through the session, we were tracking things and I'm part of the LAC, the legislative action committee. So we're kind of watching it unfold in real time and there were a number of bills that were proposed and what ended up happening is some of that kind of all got consolidated into Senate Bill 152. So for those that don't know, uh, um, that what LAC means is that's the Legislation, Legislation Active Committee for the Community Association Institute. So they right. seem to be the ones that are really pushing the bills for associations in Utah. So Scott yeah. is right there in the middle of it uh, in all the action. So it's yeah. great to have you here. Yeah, that's right. And, and what we end up doing a lot, we, we'd love to be 
just spending all of our time pushing positive bills for the HOA industry, what we end up having to do is spend a lot of time playing defense because yeah. we get a lot of get a lot of bills that um kind of are bad legislation for the industry that we yeah. we spend a lot of time trying to tamp down. We're grateful for you that you do that and spend your time doing that and uh, helps everyone out a lot. All of these owners should be grateful that, that you do that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so the first one is uh, religious, looks like uh, signs. So tell us about signs uh, in uh, SB 152, Scott. Yeah, so... I should say this this bill has a lot of nuances and I'm sure that part of it was wasn't deliberate our legis legislation session is fast in Utah it's really short and so you get rushed legislation which I think there's some of that here and so there's some inconsistencies between condos and and non-condominium associations in this bill that kind of don't make sense, but um, it's it's what we ended up with. So the main the just the main difference is like con uh, condo versus PUD. Maybe easy. It's not exactly lined out this way, but generally a PUD would be a house in a group of houses, and maybe they have a pool or maybe just a entryway, something like that, which is different legally mm -hmm. than a condominium which is stacked units or yeah that, typically condominiums gonna be stacked units so, um and that's that's pretty much a definite if you have stacked units then there's really no way to be a pud yeah. um where you get a little bit of gray area is sometimes a townhome association will be set up like a condominium their yeah. governing documents will basically say they're a condominium so you get that sometimes most of the time townhome is going to fall under the pud but but you can't, that's not guaranteed. If you're in a town community, you're like, which one am I? You can't tell just by looking at the, yeah. at the structure. That's the key. Yeah. You, yep. Sometimes it acts like a duck, quacks like a duck, and it's a squirrel. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so just, you know, that as a general statement, um, probably can't cover all the nuances here, but, but what this legislation did, it, it did attack signs uh, or cover signs it also refers to displays and so it's really a little bit broader than signs we're probably looking at things like flags and you know when we talk about holiday displays i mean that could be decorations lots of different things um so we can dive into a little bit sort of what i said i think i think the best way to do this is let's look at the condo what it did in condominiums and then let's separately look at what what it did in pud's PUD, I mean, also I'll use that term kind of loosely. Yeah. When I say PUD, I basically just mean anything that's, that's not a condominium association. So it said, starts off with religious and holiday signs. And really it says signs, symbols, or decorations. So religious and holiday um, signs, symbols, and decorations. An HOA can't, um, can't, really step on somebody's rights to have those within the unit, even if it's visible from the exterior. There's not a ton you can do, but you can place uh, reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions on those types of um, displays. So time, place, and manner is kind of a, a term of art. It's one that's used in the law a lot. There's, there's a lot of dis, uh, judicial uh, precedents and over kind of what does that mean? Basically, time, place, and manner restriction would be time is something like you know, you can say, well, if you have a lighting display, 
you have to turn it off by 10 p.m. or something. You know, it's, it's a restriction having to do with, with the timing of a display. Uh, a place display would be something like, you know, a setback rule, or you can put it, you know, up, up this high, but not, you know, past a certain um, plane or something like that. Manor is a little bit more broad. Manor usually has something to do with, I mean, manor could do with like sound, decibels, you know, the manner in which it's displayed, how many decibels, how bright it is. I don't know how you would really define that. If it's shining right in your neighbor's window, maybe you could have a manner type restriction on that. So, so that gives you some wiggle room. It says you can't have reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions on religious and holiday displays in condominium associations um, on displays that are inside the unit. Um, you cannot prohibit so so that's religious and holiday and it pretty pretty straightforward on that um, you have to allow them to have religious and holiday displays within the unit that are visible from the outside you can put time place and manner restrictions on it if your time place and manner restrictions are so onerous that it basically prohibits them from having the display then you've gone too far and it's it's probably a violation of the of the bill um, for cell signs and political signs are treated differently than religious and holiday signs here. The rules are a little bit different. Now it gets really sticky when, cause they just say political sign and they don't say what that means. And I think there's probably gonna be a lot of disputes there and probably some legal disputes over what's a political sign. You know, is a, is a Black Lives Matter sign a political sign or is that just a statement of something you believe in? Um, that's not really answered here. We have other legislation, there, there's a, there's a um, political campaigning act under Utah law that also uses this term political sign and it defines it really narrowly as like a, as a sign that's um, you know, promoting a, a political candidate or a proposed piece of legislation. And so we've had some people say, well, isn't that a political sign? Well, the definition in one act doesn't transfer over to another act. So maybe that's a good argument if you're in front of a judge, you say, hey, you know, this is kind of an analogy here, but, but no court or no legal body is required to adopt that, that definition because it's not in the act that, that this bill is in. Um, I, I personally think that that'd be a nice goal and hopefully something we can do um, in the industry is get, get the legislature to adopt a more specific definition. But right now it just says political science and that can mean a lot of stuff. What so, would be a political sign that, like, for a candidate? Is that, I'm just thinking, yeah, what, what, think, what, what are they? So, so to me, I think that that's clearly a political sign. If it's a candidate, if it's, if it's an actual piece of legislation that's you know, being proposed, that's being yeah. argued in federally or, or locally, I think that that certainly is, is safe and it's covered by this rule and, and, and an HOA is going to be livid on what they can do. What about a Black Lives Matter sign? Is that political? In my, what, so, where, where would that hang out? So my, my advice on that would be Let's assume that's political for now, because I think you're going to be it's going to be risky if we go in and we try to, to limit those kind of, you know, things that become politicized and people have signs up about it. And we and the HOA tries to limit them in a way that be contrary to this bill. I, I think that's really risky territory for the HOA and they're probably going to end up getting a legal challenge that there's a good chance they could lose. So the key to this is it has to be on the inside, not the outside. Well, so political. So here, here's what it says. And that's where I say that, that what we were talking about before was religious and holiday displays, political and for sale signs that kind of group together. Uh -huh. And what they say for those is that um, uh, you can regulate 
or you cannot you cannot regulate the content of that of a political sign. Um, this is interesting. It says. It says you, you cannot establish design criteria for political sign. So I, I'm not sure why they went there, but then they say later you can regulate the size. So that's a design criteria, but I guess they want other types of design uh, criteria. Maybe they don't want you touching the color or right. whatever. Yeah. And you can also have, again, reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions for political um, and for, for cell signs. So it doesn't say that you can't have a design criteria for, for cell signs. Just political signs you can't. Okay. So... So, so for cell signs, you could be a little bit more um, specific on. And this again, where I say there's a lot of nuances to this. That yeah. really, every time you have a, a display situation that comes up with a homeowner, you're going to want to look really closely. Okay, how does this bill work for this specific situation? It's not real straightforward and black and white. Okay. So that's condominiums. Mm-hmm. And as you would expect, it doesn't say anything in here that that allows an owner. Um, to put stuff on the exterior of the condominium. They can put it in the window, viewed from the exterior, but it doesn't, didn't do anything to allow an owner to, you know, bolt something to the wall that, that really the association owns. Okay, that's good to know. Seems that most of the ones I've seen that are the, in, the, in, the hist, in the past are people put them on the outside. That seems to be the general the problem that I hear. Yeah, and that's something and that you so can still, still regulate. In, that's still enforceable. Yeah. Good. And that's something you can still regulate. So let's go over to the PUD side. That's something you can still regulate on the PUD side as well. The rules are similar. Um, not, they're not the exact same, very similar. We won't go into all the nuances there, but the, the difference here is that if the association, it, you have to allow it on the exterior, you have to allow it on the lot, unless the association owns or maintains that exterior lot. So again, that's kind of common sense, kind of what you would yeah. expect, but that, that's how they wrote it. And, and otherwise, again, there's gonna be a lot of nuances that you should, you'll need to check in with, but, but otherwise the rules are, are very similar on what townhomes and PUDs can, can and cannot do with religious signs and political signs, okay. holiday displays. All right, perfect. So that's uh, signs, political signs in this law. The next uh, portion of it is landscaping. Uh, what, what happened in this law regarding ans- uh, landscaping? Okay, so they call this water-wise. They kind of came up with this term and they use it all through the, um, through the bill. You have, to, you have to allow and accommodate for water-wise landscaping. And what that means in sum is that you have to allow for landscaping that minimizes water, that minimizes turf. They use the term turf, meaning basically just grass, mowed grass. Um, we're not talking about artificial turf there. We're talking about, you know, actual like uh, grass. Um, so there's two pieces. The other, other legislation says you have to have rules that, um, that are kind of water-wise friendly, that, that, that accommodate for um, water-wise type, type uses. And then what, what Senate Bill 152 says is that, um, is that you can't prohibit somebody from installing water-wise type landscaping but with a bunch of buts, what you can do is you can have guidelines in your HOA design guidelines um, that say, you know, there's stuff we're not going to allow. So there was a story in KSL recently about a guy in Lehigh who had tried to put in a bunch of gravel in his front yard, just rock. And the HOA said, no, you got to rip it out. And I think, if I remember right, that he said, well, there's a new bill. 
well, this new build doesn't say the HOA has to allow gravel. You can have some guidelines that say, you know what, we're gonna allow water-wise landscaping, but gravel's not one of them. So as long as you're allowing something, as you have some kind of reasonable rules that say that, you know, we are gonna accommodate people who wanna take out their grass or minimize their grass um, to use less water, you have to have something that accommodates that, but that doesn't mean you can't have any rules. You know, you can have plants that you, that you say you don't like or certain type of materials that, that you say that, that you're just not gonna allow. That's kind of the nutshell. There's some weird things in here. Um, there, there's a provision that says that you have to, you can't prohibit somebody from taking out their grass on an area with a width of less than eight feet. But it doesn't tell us what an area means. Um, I think certainly if you have like a side yard that's less than eight feet wide and they want to take out their grass, you got to allow it. If they have a park strip, it's part of the legislation that was passed specifically calls out park strips. You have to allow them to take out the grass on the park strip. But what if you have a hundred foot wide yard and someone wants to put all these islands that are less than eight feet on each island, take out the grass. You have to allow that. It's not clear in the legislation. It's, it's not drafted well enough and specific enough to really give us guidance on that. So I have to take it case by case and kind of do like a risk assessment and say, hey, you know, I, uh, um, do we want to prohibit in this situation or not? That that's going to be kind of a gray area that I think we're going to definitely see yeah. some some disputes. I, I'm just I'm getting a panic in a light head of listening to this, Scott. I'm thinking about <laughs> park strips in HOAs where it's common areas. Right. What? Right. Th this sounds insane, Scott. Right. I, and I mean, you know, it would have been really nice if they would have said, "Hey, we're only talking about park strips here that are owned by by the owner." You know, that little strip in front of your your sidewalk or that, or that the owner maintains, but it doesn't say that. So can an owner come in and rip out a, you know, a common area park strip if it's close or even if it's not close to his unit? It sounds insane. And, and I think that we could say, hey, that that's definitely, that couldn't have been the intent here, but yeah. it doesn't tell us that's not the intent. Yeah. So this smells like a lawsuit. Is that maybe, if somebody likes to sue, we're pro how this is gonna be determined is someone's gonna sue yeah. And then a judge is going to determine what it says. Is that probably, probably where this is headed? Probably. Unless we can get a cleanup bill before that happens, which is the hope, <laughs> you know, but I, I got to be honest with you. Um, there's a lot of, there, there's at least a, maybe it's a minority. But it's a strong, you know, strong voice minority of, um, of legislators in our legislature who, who don't like HOAs. Yep. And they're getting a lot of constituents, I think, who are saying, Hey, uh, my HOA did this, and it's kind of an easy thing for them to do. Okay, I'll, I'll pass a bill about HOA. So we're getting a lot of that. So yeah. hopefully we can get a cleanup bill to clean some of these issues up, but um, but it, it, it can be tough to do. It does seem like uh, since I've been in the industry 25 years, the entire time uh, our industry seems to be the little uh, the stepchild. Yeah. The one that um, we don't get the love it's maybe the uh, contractors, the builders to get the love versus yeah. the associations. And it seems until we get more representation from um, the consumer, yeah, that we'll probably continue to have these problems. I think so. I mean, that's what the legislators listen to, right? I and mean, they listen to their constituents. And if they start hearing the other side, then I think that yeah. that, that helps. So uh, maybe, uh, of our group, you know, getting active in, if you want to see these things change, it's, it behooves us as, property managers and probably the most important thing is association members to uh, have a voice yeah yeah to say hey this bill is hurting us yeah you know it's 
it's affecting me personally and I don't like it and you know we want to see some change and I think yeah. I think they listen okay that's helpful yeah so that one would be we could classify that one as wild and woolly <laughs> right all right so the next hot one is uh, and this one is electrical vehicles this I I probably have to answer this question on a daily basis so yeah uh, tell me about uh, electrical vehicle charging system. This really has to do with charging the vehicle. That, that's what it is exactly. Now, I, I got to say personally, I mean, I, I think that we just got to face the fact that electrical vehicles are coming. They got to be charged. So I, I, I think it's good that we're looking at doing something to kind of, you know, systemize uh, how this is going to be handled in communities. Um, I think this bill actually ended up coming through pr pretty well. They put a lot of, so what the legislature said is you have to allow charging stations. That's kind of a broad statement. But um, they also put a lot of safeguards in there, a lot of backstops for HOAs that said, you know, you can still kind of keep a handle on it. So if you're in a non, or if you're in a condominium complex and there's a parking space that's assigned to a specific unit or unit owner, or that's owned by the unit or unit owner, you gotta allow them to put a charging station in it if they ask for it. But you can also require them to do, you know, kind of all the common sense things, to, to pay all the costs associated with it, um, to pay for any damage that they cause during the installation to someone else's property. Uh, you can have design guidelines for, for that charging station so it's not big and ugly. As long as, and there's a little bit of uh, nuance there, as long as it doesn't, like unreasonably um, limit the effectiveness of that charging station. Um, and then there's something else they threw in there that I thought was nice. They said if, if somebody's gonna sell that, that unit and the buyer's gonna adopt that charging station, you have, to, you have to require that the buyer either consents to all the responsibilities that will go with it, you know, expenses that are being paid, that sort of thing, or if the buyer won't consent, then you can require the owner to tear it out and replace the area to you know, the same condition or as, as good of a condition as, as it was in before. That's nice, although practically you think about it, you know, when a cell goes through in a week, how are we gonna stay on top of that? So I think that there's gotta be some kind of thinking through, uh -huh. how do we know that a cell's happening and that sort of thing so we don't lose that opportunity. Um, so that's the good stuff. In a non-condo non association, similar legislation, except that it applies to any parking, any area on the lot that's for parking. And it does say for parking. So somebody can't say, hey, I wanna put one in the middle of my yard and start parking my car. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> yeah. That, that was thought through when this legislation was passed. So. <laughs> we got that going for us, which is nice. Yeah. Or I think that we even stopped from saying, from saying I'm going to put it on the curb and park my car on the street. You know, it says it has to be an area that, that is actually for parking. So, yellow, yellow lines. Some, between the yellow lines. Yeah, between the yellow lines. Yeah, right. On the park strip. On the park After strip. they tear out the grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you have to allow it, but, but you can do some reasonable put some reasonable restrictions on it is, is kind of the gist of, of that legislation. So in my mind, Scott, the way you're talking, it almost appears to me that it's a, we could categorize this as an architectural request. So yeah. an owner would turn in that request, the board or the architectural committee, whatever you had, would review the request, how they're going to connect it, what the, what the, how the electrician is going to install it. Mm-hmm. And um, if everything looks good, then the uh, board would approve it. 
Yeah. If not, if there's questions, concerns, problems, we can work through that uh, with the architectural committee or the board to resolve those issues. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly it. And it even specifically says you can charge them for the board reviewing that request. Okay. So that's that's allowed. And I think that's what you need to do, you know, with with this new legislation, put in place some policies of how you're going to handle them and what your architectural kind of request is going to look like and and how you're going to make sure they make you aware to put the home up for sale and you know so you can make sure that that the responsibility is passed on. That's helpful. So I, I will say that I think that one area where we're going to see a lot of problems is um, what if you're in a community, especially an older community, who you have 10 people who want a charging station and your electrical infrastructure just doesn't accommodate for that. Um, my take on it is the board's response is we're allowing it. We're not going to put up a barrier for you to do it, but you have to pay any expenses. You know, if that means that, that we got to hire an electrician to do this huge project to update our electrical system, that's not on the HOA to pay. That, that'd be a cost that the homeowner would have to cover. I'm seeing that a lot, Scott. Thank you for bringing that up. There's a lot of HOAs that just their, uh, their infrastructure is nowhere sufficient to handle what's coming. Yeah. And I know up in the uh, associations up by the zoo, they've set a group of uh, that whole group is talking and the hot topic up there now is um, the electrical and most of those associations don't have the bandwidth and the infrastructure to handle that so how do you how do you address that issue yeah right that's helpful thanks Scott okay uh, uh, one of the hot ones over the last several years that's been uh, uh, put into here uh, is uh, owner uh, HOA records requests. Mm -hmm. That's been a law for I can is about five years, something like that. Five at least that at least probably that. five to seven. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, we have a timeline to issue that. Um, it I, seems that. We don't get those a lot. Um, it's an issue we need to be aware of, but it seems to me about the only time that we get these requests is if somebody has an ax to grind, if yeah. there is a personal vendetta, or um, they feel uh, wronged or cheated by the board, and then they try and take it out, and this is a way they can do that. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I'd say that this is one that's a very hot topic for attorneys because we get frustrated with these records requests and it, they seem to be weaponized. Um, makes sense that you have some kind of open records type law on the books for HOAs, but the way it was drafted, it was broad and it was easy to kind of weaponize if somebody was upset with the HOA. I'm just going to make them spend all this time and maybe money on, on this huge onerous records request because I'm going to ask for everything in the world, every email they've ever exchanged and that sort of thing. So this kind of narrows the scope of what they can ask for. Is it, that is that right? It does, yeah. So so same rules are in place that there are certain things you have to keep on hand um, for anyone to request at basically any time. Um, there's a list of that governing documents, most recent approved minutes, most recent budget and finance statement, most recent reserve analysis, certificate of insurance. What it narrowed is what about all the other stuff they can ask for? Um, there's some stuff you have to keep at the principal office. I'm not going to go over all that, but, but I'm, I want to just kind of tick down the list of 
the other stuff they can ask for besides those items. Uh, minutes of all meetings of the members and directors. Minutes of all meetings. So keep in mind that's a permanent thing. So there has to be some you know, copy of all your, your minutes ever kept somewhere. Um, records of all action taken without a meeting. So if you're taking action by email, it's allowed, but there has to be some record of it. And, and I'll just say I've always recommended that to keep that record clean, what you could do is just at a board meeting, um, go over the, the, the handful of things you decided by email over the last couple of weeks and ratify them. And so then your record is in the minutes and then you don't have to turn over your emails if somebody asks for them. You can say, okay. this is our record. One of the hot questions, this is a different topic, Scott, but I think it's important. Um, what's your opinion on minutes? I, I get a lot of people, you get people on these boards that are, uh, you know, the executive assistants and they try and put a ton of detail in there. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. and the other versus I've been to some, uh, community association Institute seminars. I think I went to one in Dallas a few years ago and the lady said, you don't want to use minutes. You almost want to use snippets. So I just wondering what's there's, there's the point of view that you keep them as minimal as possible versus, every little detail in there. What's your opinion yeah. of what you should put in the minutes? Yeah, definitely you keep it minimal. So I, I actually did a write-up on this because it was something that I was seeing a lot of issues with. I still see a lot of issues with. Um, and I'm happy anybody who reaches out, I have just kind of like a one or two pager of recommendations for minutes. Um, the problem from the legal side, from the kind of attorney side, is that when an HOA gets in trouble, one of the first things that's going to happen in a lawsuit is they're going to ask for all your records and they're going to ask for minutes. And the attorney on the other side is going to start to salivate when he sees these minutes that has, you know, just all these details about who said this and he said that and we disagreed and, and whatever else. All the dirty laundry right there. Yeah. Super easy. Right. And even if you didn't do anything wrong, I mean, that, that stuff's easy to take out of context and make it sound like you did something wrong. So definitely the recommendation for minutes is just keep it simple to what was the business that was proposed and what was passed or, or was it not, you know, what was the decision on that business? Okay. Now there's a little more... There are times, if, like if you have a conflict of interest, for for instance, you should go into a little more detail saying, identifying that there was a conflict of interest and showing evidence that we handled it right. The person recused themselves and didn't vote. But I mean, even that's just minimal detail. Okay. So yeah, what you don't need is everything that somebody yeah. stood up and said and all yeah. of the dialogue. Sorry about the rabbit hole, but I thought that was important. It is, no, you're right. You're right. All right, uh, backyard activities. That. Uh... That, uh, that sounds interesting. Tell me about that. Yeah, so really it was a tweak. We already have had a rule on the books. This is PUD associations. Not condos, just PUDs. Yeah, that's right. We already had a rule on the books that said that an HOA can't, um, can't have rules that encroach on, that's not exactly the terms it uses, but you know, they encroach on activity that goes within the confines of a lot. Unless that activity is creating, you know, a nuisance, a danger, um, some some kind of common sense things, um, this this clarified a little further and added some detail that that includes landscaping. So if there's landscaping in a backyard, that's not an eyesore because maybe you can't even see it. Um, that's not dangerous. It's not creating a nuisance to the neighbors. HOA can't can't regulate it. You can't say tell somebody what they can or cannot put, you know, in their backyard as far as landscaping goes. Okay. 
So this doesn't apply like to, again, back, so a sign, it doesn't apply to signs or anything like that. It's just. Right, because. Your land, mainly your landscaping, what goes on. Yeah. What you're planning back there, what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think one interesting um, ramification of this or, you know, kind of interesting thing to think about is what if I have this in a community in, um, in Iron County, they've got some collapsible soils out there. And so they say, you know, we're going to regulate how much you water because we don't want there to be like pit holes falling in people's backyards. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, you know, does this touch on this? I think they're probably excluded because maybe that's a safety issue. Yeah. But those types of things you got to think through now. Can we can we have those type of regulations? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. There's always a, a yin and a yang, and that's the yang that uh, you can't have sinkholes in Iron County. I don't have anything in Iron County, so that's an interesting issue. I don't yeah. know anything about it. Yeah. All right, uh, another uh, hot one out there in the in the nation is solar energy. Yeah, and they just. All, all they did here is just a little tweak. We already have solar legislation that's been on the books for a few years that limits um, how much an HOA can regulate solar panels. Um, those limitations have never applied to condominiums, and they still don't. And they have never applied to townhome communities that have shared roofs. They said now they apply to a small, narrow subset of townhome associations, and it's those associations where where the HOA has no ownership or maintenance responsibilities for the roofs or exteriors. Doesn't happen that often, but I, I can think of a few HOAs yeah. where I know that, that, that they operate that way. I Generally, just from the property manager standpoint, I still don't see many, if any, HOAs going to solar. Yeah. I don't see it a lot. Are you seeing any movement on that? Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, we definitely occasionally, I guess I haven't seen a lot either, but we definitely occasionally get, you know, a homeowner issue saying this homeowner wants to put up solar yeah. and we don't want to allow it because we don't like where it is or that sort of thing. I haven't seen a lot of HOAs come and say we want to totally ban it or we want to have yeah. like some kind of solar policy that's going to be like really significant yeah. in the community. I haven't seen a lot of that. Nothing like the electric cars yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. All right. So on this one, I should, I should mention... If you are in one of those types of town and communities, you have to permit the owner to put up solar, but that owner has to also get consent from the other people, you know, in the same, that, that he shares the roof with, in the okay. same strip of townhomes or whatever. Okay, that's good to know. All right, so that, uh, that uh, concludes um, SB 152. Now we, we have a specific bill uh, let's see, where is it? The HB 282, just for back to water. And that's the water. And, and really, um, SB 152 has a few things about water, which is the park strip specifically. And it says you have to have rules that, um, that accommodate people who want to use um, kind of drought-friendly landscaping. Um, SB 282 is the more detailed one about the water-wise landscaping, and it's really a lot of the things that I, that I hit on already. I, I veered into a lot of that when we were talking about the water-wise stuff. Um, but basically saying that if somebody wants to put in water-wise landscaping, you got to allow it, but you can have regulations saying you have to have, your lawn has to have some kind of vegetative coverage, or um, um, you, know, you can't use certain materials we don't like and that sort of thing. Okay. All right. Anything else on that? 
Um, no, nothing else, nothing else there. I mean, as, as with any of these, there's a lot of details, a lot of nuances on them that case by case situations should be kind of analyzed and see, you know, how does this detailed situation we're dealing with, you know, work with uh, that specific legislation. So probably should be obvious. We're not covering all those details here, but, um, but in general, I think that covers the gist of the legislation. Yeah. So the hot one maybe in my mind. Probably, I am concerned about the issue like on the parkways and people taking that, and, and that's probably going to be an issue. But generally, if someone wants to put, if they have an enclosed backyard, and that person wants to put in artificial turf, association should be allowing that and maybe even yeah. encur maybe encouraging it. Yeah, maybe. Although I hear it stinks after a while if you have a pet, so maybe if it smells oh. so bad that your neighbors are being affected, then, then maybe that's a justification for, for saying, you yeah. know, not that, but, but yeah, that's, that's the general idea. Okay. Yeah. That's a problem that we're going to start get, there's a lot of changes going on and we're going to encounter new issues like what you're talking about yeah. with the, the stink, what no one is going to put up with that. Yeah. Um, they, they've got to come up with a solution that if they want to keep it, right. they're going to have to correct that. Right. It, it's new territory for, I come from Arizona and they've been dealing with this stuff for, for years and figuring out how do we have you know desert friendly landscaping and I, yeah. you know for utah or at least for northern utah it's yeah. kind of new territory i remember walking uh, a few years ago after a ca conference i just i walked back to my hotel and just walking back if you had 10 houses at least nine of them had artificial turf yeah almost everybody seems to be have has has uh, artificial turf no Almost no one has grass. That's yeah. what I saw. Yeah, there's a lot of it there. Yeah. And and the technology's got to the point where I think it looks pretty good now, personally. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Scott. That was very helpful. Yeah. You helped me out a lot. I'm uh, ready to rock, rocking and rolling, ready to go talk to these boards about these uh, new laws and. All right. Good. And what's happening? I appreciate it. Yeah, I I I enjoyed it. Thanks for for having me. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Scott.